Good morning, Grace Hill Church. Our reading to this morning is Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will, be, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the internal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger needing, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Lord God, you are holy and righteous, full of love and grace for your creation. Open our ears and our hearts to your word through Justin's sermon this morning. Your son tells us you have given us a holy purpose to spread the gospel and have compassion for all people. Help us to hear your voice and answer your call. Help us to see the needs and serve. Lord, we thank you that we are not alone in this commission. You have given us the Holy Spirit to prompt our hearts and the fellowship of believers specifically gifted for your holy purpose. Help us, Lord to hear your voice and answer your call. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning. So good, I've got candy, and we'll get to that, why I have candy in a minute. Um, so, if everybody would just turn their Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, we're in chapter 12, 
and we're gonna be studying verses 35 through 48. Now, if you've been coming to Grace Hill for some time, you know that we've been in Luke for quite a long time, and that there's a running joke that this might be part 3,578, but it's actually part 41. Um, and so we're gonna continue our verse-by-verse -verse study before we begin. But first, I wanna welcome anybody that's new. If it's your first time here at Grace Hill, we welcome you. Maybe you've been here two or three times and you're trying to test the holy waters to see if this is the place for you and your family. So we welcome you and you're in for a treat today. And that treat is, it's my very first sermon. I <laughs> so, and, uh, and some of my friends joke, no, Justin, you've been preaching for a long time. It's your first time preaching from a pulpit. It's uh, yeah, that's true. Um, but, and I say that to tell you that if you witness a, uh, a train wreck today and you're new, please come back next week. The, the preaching next week will be better, I promise. <laughs> but if it's not a train wreck by the grace of God, then uh, please still come back. Amen. And um, so seriously, though, but if you are new, I just I want you to take the time to meet people in the church. Come grab me afterwards. I'd love to greet you. If you desire prayer, I'd love to pray with you. If you've got questions about our church, we have an engagement team um, that would love to answer any questions that you have about our church. And kids, high schoolers and middle schoolers, if you grabbed a sheet walking into this sermon, I want you to fill it out and bring it to me afterwards, and we've got candy, all right? And so a little bit of inspiration, and also, since this is my first sermon, it's a little bit easier to bribe for the favors of kids than it is their parents. And parents also know we've got healthy options in here, so let your kids know before they come. But we also got chocolate and some other stuff, too. All right, so forgive me, parents. So as I was praying about our text for the day, I really wanted to first provide a lens by which that we can start to understand this, this text and digest this text. So I am, um, it came to me, I, you know, I'm a technologist by trade. And so, you know, I'm a developer, and, and I... I uh, do programming and all that, and I love to study trends like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and, and blockchain. And if you don't know what blockchain is, that's okay, because the point of, of this is, is the fact that, you know, I look at Bitcoin and I look at how these things are, are influenced. And um, one of the things that struck me is Elon Musk. Everybody knows, I think, Elon Musk, the billionaire. And when he tweets sometimes about his relationship with Bitcoin, we see the price just plummet we see it drop dramatically. And sometimes we see it to the tune of billions and billions of dollars. The, the, the cryptocurrency market is huge. And everyone rushes to sell their Bitcoin because Elon tells us that he's fallen out of love with Bitcoin. And so we rush to just lock in that value. We run and scurry so that we don't lose the value in our portfolios. And really what we're doing is we're, we're fearing how much we could lose. And all this, I thought, from a tweet, just a few words. But see, when Jesus gives us warnings, we don't tend to do the same thing. We don't tend to rush. We don't tend to lock in the value that he's stored up for us, that he's asking us to store up for him. We don't run with that same sense of urgency. Someone who, um, who I really respect said this, when people warn us, the fear we have is directly related to how much respect we have for them. And so I'm going to say that again. When people warn us, the fear we have is directly related to how much respect we have for them. 
because we act on their word with urgency. And so I thought about naming this, this, uh, this sermon Twitter versus the Bible, but uh, I was like, I don't know if that's it. <laughs> but, um, but that is our lens for today, that the Christian is called to fear God more than he or she fears man and to value the things of God more than he or she values the things of her or his own. And so it's with this understanding that I want us to sort of look at what Jesus is saying, how we value the possessions of God and how he would have us live this out, how we would apply this to our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you haven't already, again, please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, verse 35, and I'm going to read the entire passage um, that we're going to study today. So verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So any of my Spider-Man fans should probably recognize that last verse, that to whom much was given, much will be required. And so I'm just going to pray before we actually get into this. So, Father, we're just so grateful for your word. Father, we ask for clarity and for understanding. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be present today. Lord, I ask that your, your words would, would, would present themselves, not mine. Lord, remove me from this equation. I'm thankful for the love that was shown and the grace that was shown through my church. I felt your presence more through the body of your people this week, encouraging me for the preaching of your word. So bless this time with us together. Um, Lord, that your, your command would be understood, that we would act with urgency, that we would love one another, understand our value and your role and your plan for us in this world. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, okay, earlier we talked about how the Christian is called to fear God more than he or she is to fear man and the value of the possessions of God more than his or her own. And it's with this attitude that we're going to digest today's scripture. So 
God is asking us in this passage to do something. And my hope is that we will respect him enough, fear him enough, that with this very thing he's asking us to do, that we will do it with urgency. So what is it? What exactly is he asking us to do? And my hope is that when we ask that question, that this is where we will land at the end of our study. And that is, um, there should be a slide that pops up, that the church is called to step into people's lives and use their gifts. And why? And I believe that scripture is telling us that this is how God has chosen to reach people. And that you, Grace Hill, are God's plan. And that Jesus is calling the church to step in, to step into people's lives, for us to be the full expression of the church, of his love on earth, and use the gifts that he has graciously given us and that he's given you. So it's out of a deep appreciation for these gifts, for this unending love and grace that we should obey, out of a spirit of love and appreciation, out of a repentant heart. And I believe that there are four points that we need to take away from this text, and that's leading us into this understanding. And so point number one is that Jesus is telling us to be ready because he's coming. So be vigilant and be ready for his return. In verse 35, we'll read it again. Stay dressed and ready for action. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Now, the literal translation for gird your waist is it's, it's similar to saying be ready for battle. And it emotes this sense of urgency that we, we keep talking about. So the best illustration that I could think of is, um, you know, sometimes when, when guys are walking around with their pants all saggy, and you're like, man, would you please pull up your pants? And I always think, if they ever get into trouble and they need to run. <laughs> and so I drive by them sometimes, and I, you know, and my daughters know this. I just want to jump out the truck, I just want to jump out the car, and I want to say, gird your waist, man. Pull up your pants, tighten up your belt. So that's what he's saying. And to keep your lamps lit. Don't run out of oil before the Lord comes home, before the master comes home. So here's our first command. It's to be vigilant. And so we'll move on to verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. And so when we look at verse 37, what really astonishes me here is that Jesus is giving us a biblical model for leadership. And God is saying he will serve us. And if you stop to think about that for a second, that the creator of the universe is telling us that he is willing to serve us, then how much more do you think our call is to serve others? So we've seen Jesus all the way up until this point rebuking the Pharisees, saying things like, you do all these things, you tithe a little bit, but you should have done this without neglecting others. And so in the world, we often believe the more that you have people under you, that the greater leader you are. But see, Jesus sort of flips this around. 
Instead, we see a God who is willing to serve. We see this beautifully displayed by Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. That's an incredible love. And this is where our second point begins to emerge, and that is that we need to trust him. And we need to trust him because he loves us. And so verse 39, we start to see this love, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour. You do not expect. So I want to stop here and have us look at this for a second, because what we know is that Jesus is foreshadowing his second coming. So we talked about this idea of urgency that we all need to have. And he's expressing to what end that he loves all of us, his possessions. So Jesus here starts to introduce this bit of a paradox. He introduced this idea, this contrast of a thief. And so our vigilance now that we discussed earlier in the passage, it has two goals. The first goal is that we need to eagerly anticipate the return of our master, the return of Christ. We need to have a life projected towards Christ coming back. And that sort of that positions us in our faith as to how we are supposed to behave. And then the second thing that he is expressing to us in our vigilance is that we need to protect the possessions of the master so that they won't be stolen because he values his possessions and we need to value them more than we value our own. So I'm gonna, I got my neighbor here and I'm not gonna embarrass him, but he knows this story. He knows that over the summer, we tend to get car break-ins on our street. And especially this year, it was bad because of the pandemic. Um, and it spoke to that. And uh, my neighbor, he's fantastic. And he put these cameras in his tree that you can't see so that we could take pictures of who potentially was breaking into these cars. And our neighbors were emailing pictures back and forth from their ring cameras so that we could potentially get a, cam- a picture of who was doing this and, and, and send them to the police. And one of the things that would happen every single night is I would get dressed, I'd get ready for bed, and I'd get in, I'd be super comfortable, and I'm ready. And then Lindsay, my wife, she would turn to me and she says, did you lock the cars? And then I'd just grunt. And I'm like, all right. Let me go downstairs, and go grab the keys, go lock the cars. And so, but why? Why did I need to lock it? Why did she ask me to lock it? It's because we value what's inside. And so basically, my wife was asking me the same question that God is asking us. Will you be vigilant? Will you lock up my house? Because I care about what's inside. Will you have eyes that are open like the security cameras that my neighbor put in our trees? I value the possessions in my house. And so next, Peter asks a question. He turns and says, Lord, this is verse 41, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? Now, Peter was confused at this point in the scripture. We learned from Monty's sermon, who did the last sermon before this in the series. And if you haven't watched those sermons that lead up to this, there's three of them. I think you should watch the first three. So I commend those to you. But we learned from Monty that the disciples were telling us to to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. We also learned this from from Nick's um, sermon. 
Beware of the leaven of the, servant, the, the Pharisees. And this leaven, we learned, is hypocrisy. We also learned that it's the teaching of their traditions. And so Alan preached on how leaven causes this decay that emits this sort of gas in the bread, and it causes the bread to puff up. And so often in the Bible, we see that the uh, leaven is used to represent pride. We see that it's used in this, you know, like this, this puffing up of your chest. And according to Levitical law, leaven was not allowed to be used in any of the sacrifices to God in the Old Testament. And so it wasn't worthy. Bread with leaven was not worthy to be set before God. And so all the while, the Pharisees, which are the religious authority at this time, they're being told by Jesus that they're leaven. And here's what's even crazier to me, which is really wild, is that Jesus is telling them as all of these Jews are migrating to the festival of the unleavened bread. So they're supposed to be like the top dogs. They are the top of the food chain at this huge festival with hundreds of thousands of Jews. And Jesus is like, no, you're 11. Y'all need to go. So I often think, man, Jesus, man, he has a sense of humor. So he's basically telling them, you guys embody the very thing that this festival is not about. And it had to be extraordinarily, extraordinarily embarrassing for them. So verse 42, and the Lord said to Peter, in order to mitigate his confusion, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them the portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So Jesus is basically saying, I'm talking to you. And I'm especially talking to those who were charged to feed the body of Christ via the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word. And I believe that all Christians are called to this. So those that he commanded to truly be his righteous authority, not the righteous authority that the Pharisees thought that they were. So don't be like the Pharisees. Don't teach their traditions as if they were the commands of God. And why? Because it's these traditions that will get you distracted. It's these traditions that will keep you from a real obedience to Christ. A real obedience, Jesus is saying, to me. And you'll be tempted with a fake righteousness and a self-serving obedience. Matthew 23, Jesus says, they say and they do not do. They say they're obeying God's law, but they're not truly obeying God's law. They want all their works, he says in Matthew 23, 5, to be seen by men. So it's about how they look. It's not really about their heart. It's not really about chasing after God. Jesus says, I just want, I want all of you. I don't want a piece. Luke eleven forty two earlier in uh, the sermons that I just committed to you, he says this, but woe to you Pharisees. For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting others. See, this little bit of tithing that they did, that's not what Jesus was rebuking. That was okay. But it meant nothing if you neglect others, if you neglect your responsibility to serve others. Feed them real food the gospel of Christ. That is the heart of God. 
And we see this love for his possessions begin to emerge more, that his call for those he set over, the, over his possessions, his church, but by the desire to look godly rather than to be godly, they missed it. They got distracted with tradition, with habits. And some of us, we turn to, this, to these habits. I'm the worst. Sometimes we, we, we serve a little, we tithe a little, we give a little. We want to make ourselves feel good. God, you know, I gave you enough. Make you feel a little righteous. But then we don't look for opportunities to share the gospel. People at our jobs don't know that we're marked by God, that we're marked by Christ, that we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to ask ourselves, do I really have a heart yielded to God? Am I truly obeying him? Am I seeking him? Am I going after him? Because Jesus is warning us. Watch out for this leaven in your life. It's going to get into you. It will spread in you. It will distract you. And it will puff you up with pride. It will lead you to a desire to look godly rather than to be godly and not desiring to serve others. So, not desiring to keep a diligent watch over my possessions that I've left in your care. So this leads us to our point number three. Don't get distracted. Verse 45, but if that servant says to himself, now in the Greek, you can also translate himself as heart. So we could also read that as, but if that servant says in his heart, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. So Jesus is immensing words here. And look, if Jesus was on Twitter today, how long do you think it would take for him to get canceled? I don't think it would take that long. So again, that himself. In another translation, as I say, it is heart. And so this brings into light how much Jesus cares about real heart transformation and what comes out of that transformation. In verse 48, I believe, while it has the strongest direction to, to teachers and to pastors and to elders of the word, um, I think that we are all accountable for this. We are all charged to teach the faith to others and to bring the gospel of Christ to others through the power of the Holy Spirit with confidence and with boldness, trusting, as we said earlier, that his spirit has been deposited and indwelled in us. So this should not prevent you from desiring to teach, to become a teacher. This should not desire you from becoming, wanting to become an elder or a pastor or a deacon. But rather, you should see how much God adores protecting his children. And so another way to think about this verse is this. So we've got a bunch of new parents in here. And do you remember the first time that you left for a date and you left your baby with a babysitter? We were at dinner with the Smalls not too long ago, and if you know that the Smalls just had a, a, a new baby, and, and Andrea kept checking her phone, making sure her baby was all right. And so, in that same illustration, if you think about it, when, when you leave, and I don't know about y'all, but the first time my baby Logan, I left 
for a babysitter with her, I just walked out, I just kept staring at the babysitter like this. I just was staring. And I was thinking, you better not harm a hair on my baby's head or there will be, all of you can fill in the words there, right? So that's Jesus' attitude. He loves us. He doesn't want a hair missing on his baby's head. And I also want to point out the term of the use drunk here, drunkenness. And we see this a lot in, in Scripture where the literal term for drunkenness is used. And basically the opposite side of that is, is sober-mindedness, soberness. And really what he's calling us to do is saying, don't become drunk on the things of this world. Don't become drunk on these little habits that you've created for yourself. But instead, be sober, be sober-minded. Don't get distracted. And so that's like the babysitter. If, if the babysitter, say, invited her boyfriend over, and next thing you know, they, they're popping bottles and they're partying and they're doing all this stuff. And, uh, I mean, how would you feel when you walked in your home and your home was turned upside down? And so I see, I see some moms sort of shifting in their seats thinking, I see you, Lisa, shifting in your seat thinking about that. <laughs> so, but guess what we often do? Like I said, Andrea kept checking her phones checking her phone, and we're often looking to see if we got a baby, a, a message about our baby that something was wrong. And don't you think Jesus is doing that? With prayers from his saints? And sometimes, most of the time on that first date, we just end it early. We just leave. It's time to get back to our babies. And if you're like me, I don't even call the babysitter, right? Lindsay would know, I'd just like, babe, we're not gonna call. What we're gonna do is we're gonna get home and I'm just going to ease on up the driveway real quiet. Don't call them. And I'm going to walk up to the window, and I'm going to peer in, and I'm just going to make sure everything is cool. Right? I'm just going to pop up. And so Jesus is the same. He's just going to pop up, y'all. And so when I get home and I see that the that the babysitter has done a wonderful job and has tucked my babies in and maybe even read a book and maybe they're reading a book on the, on the, uh, on the couch and man, I just feel so good. Job well done. And I leave a, a bigger tip. Sometimes I may pay them double what I told them I was gonna pay. And so this is our, fernal, our final point, number four. We are called to use our gifts. Use your gifts. Verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a, meeting, a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. And a lot of biblical commentaries don't even want to sort of address this verse because it's kind of, it's tough. It's sort of tough to understand. Um, who Jesus is talking to, what exactly he means, but, um, and what Jesus is exactly is saying here. But for us today, I believe what Jesus is telling our church is that there's a responsibility in knowing what Jesus has called us to do, that he didn't just leave you over his house, but he also bestowed you with gifts. And these gifts he expects you to use for the benefit of the kingdom and for the feeding of the body of Christ. And all of you in the body of believers have been entrusted by the Holy Spirit 
with the spirit of grace, by the spirit of grace, with gifts, heaven being saved by God and accepting your salvation is the first step. But there's two steps to this. The second step is what we call the life of the Christian. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do, that we project our lives towards him, that we eagerly wait his return. This postures our life towards Christ. We're not just resting on our salvation. We're not becoming complacent. And we often do that. We say, I can't lose my salvation. I'm saved for life. Well, that's true. That's absolutely true. But also out of that comes an appreciation of the fact that you're saved for life and a love for God, a love for his word, a love for his people, and a desire to use the gifts that he's giving you for building up your neighbor, for building up your church to the glory of the God that gave you those gifts. This is the evidence of a transformed heart. This is why he doesn't want you to be distracted, because you will miss it. Have a heart for God. Paul gives us a little bit more into this in Romans. And so in Romans verse 12, I'm going to read verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly. Don't be puffed up. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Clear-mindedness. Don't get distracted. Each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. He's given you gifts. Give them back in the proportion that he's given them to you. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We're all given different gifts. So we, though many, are in one body in Christ, single-minded in Christ, and individually members one of another. It's a family. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our servicing, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, servant leadership, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul understood what Jesus was saying. He understood that if you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, that you've been given a gift that you are required to exercise in this life of a Christian. Jesus cares about his body, he loves his children, and he expects that we use the gifts that we are given to step into the lives of others. We are required to step in. So again, be ready. Jesus is coming back. Ask yourself, if you knew Jesus was returning in a few days, what would you change? Like, think about that. If you knew Jesus was coming next week, would you be prepared to tell him what you've done? Would you feel confident that you've been serving him with the gifts and that you've been meeting the expectation that he has for you? And trust him. Be confident with how much he loves you, how much he wants to protect the hairs on your head that he'll go to any end to protect you, chopping up people to pieces if he gets back. 
Don't get distracted. Project your life towards Christ. Eagerly wait his return. Posture yourself in this life of a Christian directed by God. And then finally, use your gifts to the benefit of God's glory out of a transformed and repentant heart, yielded to God, trusting in the guidance of the Holy Spirit, humble and conscious of how easily the leaven in your life can spread. And so, church, I'm just going to leave you with this, why your gifts are so desperately needed. And it's because I'm preaching you, I'm preaching to you today, and it's literally a miracle. It is a miracle that I'm here. If you knew my story. You see, when I was young, I started out in church. I had a father that I saw every day, pray on his knees every night. I was in youth group. I knew the church. We went to church. And as I got older, I just drifted away. I allowed that leaven to get into my life. I went to college, and then by the time I got to college, I wasn't even attending church on a regular basis. I did some things, a little bit here and there, just to make myself feel like I was still connected. You know, I joined this choir, and I would do every, you know, every now and then I would do some stuff, maybe pop in on a church here and there, but I wasn't really connected. And so this leaven in my life just continued to, to just seep into my life. And as I got older, I just started to just take on the things that the world told me. Justin, you're supposed to chase that bag. Justin, you're supposed to go out there and be an entrepreneur, be a leader, put people under you, chase money. And so what ended up happening is my life just started to spiral out of control. I started to let sin enter my life until the point where I started to take on addiction. And so I'm not going to get deep into that. I'm going to save that for another sermon so y'all will come back and hear that one. But just know that I had so much sin in my life that I couldn't even walk into a church. Because when I walked in, I would just cry. Because I knew that at some point, I was going to have to confess. You see, I knew who God was. And I knew that there was this tug on my heart. I could feel it. And I knew one day I was going to have to confess in order for me to get back and right where I belonged. But that meant I had to lose almost everything. That meant I had to lose a marriage. I was fearful that I was going to lose my children. It meant financial destruction. No, God, I can't do it. But I heard him say, I'm not done with you, Justin. I'm not done with you yet. But God, I can't. I can't. I can't do it alone. And God said, I'm going to send you someone who's going to help you. And not long after that prayer and that encounter, I met a man at a church. And this man changed my life. This man helped me to confess. He helped me to remove all sin, but not all sin because we're still sinners. I'm still a sinner. 
but all the shame and all the guilt that I had. He grabbed my hand and he walked me to the cross. And he said, Justin, you leave it here because there's no condemnation in Christ. I needed him to grab that hand. He texted me last week and he said this, he said, Justin, it just popped up out of the blue. I didn't even tell him I was preaching my first sermon. Your past wants to snare you, but it cannot. It will not in Christ. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for stepping into the purpose that God has for your life. And someone here needs to hear that today. That there's no condemnation in Christ. God is here to redeem you. The devil wants to snare you. And he does it by using shame. He does it by using guilt. And that there is a path to get pulled out of this repetition of sin that you feel that you have no control over. But you need someone to pull you up. You need help like I did. You need a physical hand from the body of Christ. Because where would I be if that man hadn't taken his call seriously? Where would I be if he hadn't projected his life to Christ? Where would I be if he didn't act with urgency and say, God, I need to step into that man's life right now before he dies? I needed it. Grace Hill, somebody needs you. Somebody needs you to help leave their shame and their guilt. Because what they think is life is death. And help them to leave it at the foot of the cross and at the feet of Jesus. I came out on the other side redeemed. Not perfect. But I have a different attitude. I have a different spirit. I project my life differently. There's a new sense of urgency. So Grace Hill, don't rest on your salvation alone. Walk boldly into this life, the Christian life, with urgency, out of love, humility, and boldness with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, with the gifts that he's given you. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ in your life, maybe you've wondered, I just don't know what I believe. Well, you're looking at a miracle. You're looking at what God can do. Because if you're thinking there's got to be more, then you've got that same tug that I had. And you need to listen to it. You need to respond to it. You can get out of the trap. Don't ignore it. Because God wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. He wants to strengthen you. And he wants to send you someone like he did for me from his body. A hand from his body. And so, someone here wants to walk with you today. I want to walk with you. And so I'm calling you. And if you want to respond to this call, don't wait because Jesus is coming back. 
and I'm going to act with urgency in your life. So let me help you. Let me pray for you. I'll walk with you. I'd love to do it. My wife, she'd love to walk with you. There's brothers and sisters here in our church. They would love to walk with you. And if you want this, I want to pray for you. And if you want this, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. You can just close your eyes and you can say the words to yourself. Lord, your word says for you, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Lord, I trust and know that you will return and by your loving grace, you've been kind and you've been patient not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Lord, I ask by your spirit a gift of faith, of unfailing love for you, a belief that you lived a perfect life and that you died a perfect death, and that if I believe in you, all shame, all guilt in my life has been crucified at the cross. It's done and it's finished and then I will be left without guilt. God, that you loved me so much that you wanted to have, you wanted me to have new life without shame and without condemnation. So just as Christ was buried and raised from the dead, so too I will be risen from death of my former life into the resurrection of a new life directed by you. Thank you, Lord, for loving me more than I loved myself. Thank you, Lord, for sending your spirit and for sending your church to chase after me in obedience to your word. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer with me, please come meet me after service. We have prayer ministers that want to pray with you. We have a church family here who wants to accept you into the family of Christ. They want to put their arms around you, walk with you. They want to show you the love of Christ. So please hear it, please respond. I love you, Grace Hill. Amen.